إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد تريدن دشابتا باب قول الله تعالى ولا تنفع الشفاعة عنده إلا لمن أذن له حتى إذا فزع عن قلوبهم قالوا ماذا قال ربكم قالوا الحق وهو العلي الكبير ولم يقل ماذا خلق ربكم وقال جل ذكره من ذا الذي يشفع عنده إلا بإذنه This chapter it mentions the ayah and the ayah is going to be explained in the explanation now ayah that speaks about the topics of intercession speaks about the topic of the angels it begins here by saying also وَقَالَ مَسْرُوقٌ عَنِ بْنِ مَسْعُودِ إِذَا تَكَلَّمَ اللَّهُ بِالْوَحِي سَمِعَ أَهْلُ السَّمَاوَاتِ شَيْئًا فَإِذَا فُزِّعَ عَنْ قُلُوبِهِمْ وَسَكَنَ الصَّوْتُ عَرَفُوا أَنَّهُ الْحَقِّ وَنَادَوْ مَاذَا قَالَ رَبُّكُمْ قَالُوا الْحَقِّ وَيُذْكَرُ عَنْ جَابِرْ عَنْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ أُنَيْسِ قَالَ سَمِعْتُ النَّبِيَّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يَقُولْ يَحْشُرُ اللَّهُ الْعِبَادَ فَيُنَادِيهِمْ بِصَوْتٍ يَسْمَعُهُ مَنْ بَعُدَ كَمَا يَسْمَعُهُ مَنْ قَرُبَ أَنَا الْمَلِكُ أَنَا الدَّيَّانِ هذا الباب عقده المؤلف رحمه الله ليبين أن قول الله عز وجل يكون بصوت وهذا الذي عليه السلف الصالح أن كلام الله تعالى بحرف وصوت الشيخ الثمين says this chapter right now the purpose behind it, as we'll come to see in the evidences, is to highlight a topic related to the speech of Allah. We've already spoken about the attribute of the speech of Allah. Kalamullah. That the Quran is the speech of Allah. Allah spoke the Quran, which was heard by Jibreel alayhi salam. And then he came and taught the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The Quran was heard by Jibreel. How was that heard? Here it explains that to a degree. The details of the how of the attributes we don't know. All we can say is what we've been taught in the Quran and the Sunnah. So here we have been taught something and that is that the statement of Allah, the speech of Allah, it is with a voice. The statement and the speech of Allah, 
It is with a voice, with letters and sounds and a voice, and that is what the Salaf they mentioned. There are various evidences and examples. One of them mentioned here is, وَإِذْ قُلْنَا لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ اسْجُدُوا لِآدَمُ when Allah created Adam alayhi salam, and then he told the angels to prostrate to Adam alayhi salam. That is mentioned in the Quran. Allah said, وَإِذْ قُلْنَا لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ اسْجُدُوا لِآدَمُ And remember when we said to the angels, prostrate to Adam. When we said to the angels, prostrate to Adam and there are many other examples just like that another ayah وَإِذْ قَالَ اللَّهُ يَا عِيسَى بْنَ مَرْيَمُ and when Allah said O Isa son of Maryam in the Quran you get the ayah when Allah addresses Isa alayhi salam in all of these, it affirms Allah speaking to Isa salam, speaking to the angels. Certainly, we've mentioned before, one of the attributes of Allah is the attribute of speech. وَأَمْثَالُهُمَا تَدُلُّ دِلَالَةً وَاضِحًا عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُ يَقُولُ قَوْلًا يُسْمَعْ all of these evidences clearly indicate that when Allah speaks, then it is a speech that is clearly heard. It is something heard. So Allah speaks with a voice and with letters and sounds that are heard. Voice and letters and sounds that are heard. بَلْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ فَصَّلَ الصَّوْتَ بِأَنَّهُ يَكُونُ رَفِيعًا وَيَكُونُ دُونَ ذَلِكَ كَمَا قَالَ تَعَالَى وَنَادَيْنَاهُ مِنْ جَانِبِ الطُّورِ الْأَيْمَنِ وَقَرَّبَنَاهُ نَجِيًّا Here it says وَنَادَيْنَاهُ We called him and that typically indicates a voice that is elevated to call someone. وَنَادَيْنَاهُ فَالسَّلَفْ يَقُولُ So the Salaf, they would say. The Salaf, regarding this topic, this is what they said. إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَتَكَلَّمُ بِقَوْءَ يَتَكَلَّمُ وَيَقُولُ بِكَلَامٍ مَسْمُوعٍ Allah speaks and says speech that is heard. It is audible and heard. And Allah speaks with that speech that is of component letters. فِي بِسْمِ اللَّهِ سَابِقَةِ وَالسِّينَ بَعْدَهَا وَالْمِيمَ بَعْدَهُمَا وَهَلُمَّ جَرَّا 
And these letters, they follow on one from the next. The letters, they follow on one from the next. Bismillah, it is the ba, then comes after it the scene, then comes after it the meme. So the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with letters and sounds and a voice that is audible and heard. And those letters, they are consecutive one after the next in that speech. وَلَا يَضُرْ أَن تَحْدُثَ الْحُرُوفِ حَرْفًا بَعْدَ حَرْفِ لِأَنَّهُ كَمَا سَبَقَ أَنَّ اللَّهَ لَمْ يَزَلْ وَلَا يَزَالُ فَعَالًا وَالَّذِي يَحْدُثُ هُوَ أَحَادَ الْكَلَامِ وَهُوَ مِنَ الْكَمَالِ أَنْ يَكُونَ مَا تَشَاءُ وَتَكَلَّمَ بِمَا شَاءُ And this in essence it is mentioning how we've said already, Allah does as He pleases. And He speaks when He pleases. So the attribute of speech to Allah, Allah speaks when He wishes, when He pleases. And so the fact that the letter comes after another is not an issue. Allah speaks that as He wills, as He wishes. In another hadith it mentions, Ya Adam, that Allah says, O Adam, فيقول, so he says, لبيك وسعديك, that I am here in your obedience, in your service, فينادى بصوت, then it is called out with a voice, إن الله يأمرك أن تخرج من ذريتك بعثا إلى النار, that indeed, Allah orders you to take out from your offspring a selection of them to the fire. قَالْ فَيُنَادَى بِصَوْتٍ فَأَكَّدَ النِّدَاءِ بِأَنَّهُ بِصَوْتٍ In the hadith it mentions that it is called out, he is called out with a voice. So this call that comes this call that he hears, it is a call being made with a voice. Despite the fact that when we say you call out to someone or somebody called out to someone, that call, it is with a voice by default anyway. But here it's mentioned in the hadith as emphasis. That the call is made with a voice, even though by default it would be a voice anyway. So emphasis is put on that. Similarly, وَكَلَّمَ اللَّهُ مُوسَى تَكْلِيمًا Emphasis again, highlighting that Allah spoke to Musa alayhi salam. That Allah spoke to Musa alayhi salam. So we know Musa alayhi salam is Kalimullah, the one whom Allah spoke to directly. We know also that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is Kalimullah, the one whom Allah spoke to him directly. We've seen the example of when Allah said to the angels, spoke to them, told them to prostrate to Adam, 
We've seen examples of Allah speaking to Adam alayhi salam. There are examples on the day of judgment, the hadith it mentions, we've done it already. مَا مِنْكُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَ إِلَّا سَيُكَلِّمُهُ رَبُّهُ لَيْسَ بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَهُ تُرْجُمَانَ There is not a single one of you on the day of judgment except that Allah will speak to you and there will not be between you and him an interpreter. So all of these are evidences highlighting that speech of Allah. Ibrahim salam, when he was refuting the mushrikun at that time, when Ibrahim salam, was refuting the mushrikun at his time, the polytheists who were worshipping all of those other false deities, one of the points of refutation that he made against them was the fact that their so-called deities cannot speak. Ask them if indeed they can speak, if indeed they can hear. He mentioned these points of them hearing and speaking because they could not, those pieces of stone, they could not hear and they could not respond or speak. So then how can your so-called God be someone, a God who cannot hear you, a God who cannot speak and reply and respond to you, then that certainly is a great and tremendous deficiency. It is from the characteristics of the Rububiyyah and the Uluhiyyah to Allah from His names and attributes that of course Allah speaks It is a deficiency, the one who is unable to utter any words or to pronounce anything from himself. So these are all evidences regarding the attribute of speech. And now in particular the discussion being around the fact that it is speech with letters and sounds and a voice that is heard. So in this chapter heading that we come back to now, in that chapter heading it had said, باب قول الله تعالى ولا تنفع الشفاعة عنده إلا لمن أذن له That no intercession will benefit with Allah. Nobody will be able to do any intercession except for the one whom Allah gives permission to intercede in the first place. That's why one of the conditions of the accepted shafa'ah must be the permission of Allah. Then it mentioned, Until when that terror and that fright finally exits from their hearts and they calm down and they settle down. هَذِهِ الْآيَةِ بَقِيَّةُ آيَةٍ سَبَقَتْ This ayah, it carries on from an ayah that came before. قُلِ دُعُوا الَّذِينَ زَعَمْتُمْ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ Allah says, call upon those who you claim to be gods besides Allah. لَا يَمْلِكُونَ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةِ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَلَا فِي الْأَرْضِ They... These false deities and so-called gods of yours, 
do not control even, as we say now in the language, an atom's weight in the heavens nor in the earth, meaning not even a speck, not even the smallest thing do they control and have any ability and power over in the heavens or the earth. مَا لَهُمْ فِيهِمَا مِنْ شِرْكٍ وَمَا لَهُ وَمَا لَهُمْ فِيهَا فِيهِمَا مِنْ شِرْكٍ وَمَا لَهُ مِنْهُمْ مِنْ ظَهِيرٍ That they do not, وَمَا لَهُمْ They do not have in it مِنْ شِرْكٍ Any participation. They do not have anything to do with the heavens and the earth. No participation in that. No role in that. They have nothing to do with it. All of that heavens and earth is purely under the control and the creation of Allah. And مَا لَهُ مِنْهُمْ مِنْ And neither does Allah have from them any uh, uh, comparable uh, person or uh, deity, anybody resemblant or anybody of equal or anybody of assistance or aid. None of them have any resemblance to Allah. Allah doesn't have any equal from them, any partner from them. Then after that it mentions, وَلَا تَنْفَعُ الشَّفَاعَةُ عِنْدَهُ إِلَّا لِمَنْ أَذِنَ لَهُ That no intercession will benefit with Allah except for the one whom Allah gives permission to. فَهَذِهِ الْآيَةِ وَالَّتِي بَعْدَهَا قَطَعَتْ جَمِيعَ مَا يَتَعَلَّقُ بِهِ الْمُشْرِكُونَ وَبَيَّنَتْ أَنَّ أَوْثَانَهُمَ أَصْنَامَهُمْ لَا تَسْتَحِقُّ الْعِبَادَةِ بِأَيِّ وَجْهٍ مِنَ الْوُجُوهِ These ayat here, they absolutely cut off any claim that others besides Allah have any right to be worshipped. All the others besides Allah, they have no control of anything, not an atom's weight in the heavens or the earth. They have no participation or any role in that. Neither does Allah have any resemblance or equal from them. So they are all completely null and void. Their intercession as the mushrikun used to seek, the mushrikun, used to believe that these so-called deities and gods can be the middlemen between them and Allah. That these so-called deities can be the intercessors between them and Allah. That is what they used to believe at the time of the Prophet ﷺ too. Their shirk was based upon that, revolving around that, Believing that these deities of theirs, the so-called gods, can intercede for them with Allah. مَا نَعْبُدُهُمْ إِلَّا إِلَى اللَّهِ They used to say we don't worship them except that they will bring us closer to Allah. So here all of that is nullified. There is no intercession with these other gods and deities as they claim. They are all false and they have no permission or standing or anything to be middlemen or to speak on behalf of them to Allah, to intercede, nothing whatsoever, no participation, no control, no share of anything.
And this really, it goes into the topic of Tawheed in particular, of Al-Uluhiyya, in refutation or clarification of all of those people who still believe that there is something to be achieved in going to the graves of the dead, in going to the graves of the deceased, and calling upon them, asking them for aid and assistance and whatever it may be, even if they say, we're not worshipping them, we're not calling upon them, we just go there because they are, as they claim, awliya of Allah, great imams they were, so we simply go there to ask them to take our dua to Allah. We're not making our dua to them. We're just asking them to take our dua to Allah for us. Because they are closer to Allah. They were great imams, awliya of Allah. We are sinners. We are masakeen. So we go to their graves and ask them to take our duas to Allah for us. That's it. We're not worshipping them. But that claim of theirs, what the people claim right now all across the world, is exactly the claim that the mushrikun, the kuffar, the ones whom the Prophet ﷺ fought against, it's exactly the same justification they were giving all that time ago. They were saying we only go there because they bring us closer to Allah. They intercede for us. They never said these in their graves or whatever else they worshipped, control or create the earth, that they give life and death. They never said that. They said they will simply bring us closer to Allah. They are deities with respect and status with Allah. But that is all false. That is false. There is no intercession of that nature. You cannot go to the graves of the dead and ask them to take your dua to Allah. Dua is made directly to Allah. You call upon your Lord with your dua. You've not been told to go to the dead and ask them to take your supplication and your prayers to Allah. You call upon Allah directly. We don't have this intermediary system. Neither even with the Prophet Muhammad you don't go to his grave and ask him to take your prayers to Allah, ask him to take your supplication and your dua to Allah. That would all be impermissible, whether at the grave of the Prophet or at any other grave. And it always reminds me about that story about a person Upon misguidance, not knowing, as so many people across the world may be, believing that you should go to the grave of the Prophet and ask him to take your du'as to Allah, ask him for the shafa'ah. So people, they go to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, raising their hands, trying to make du'a there, asking him for their needs, asking him to take the du'a to Allah. On one occasion, an individual went and he posted a letter into the grave of the Prophet ﷺ. When the security found that letter at the end of the day and they opened it up, they found on this letter 
at the top a passport size photograph of the man with his name next to it my name is X Y and Z whatever it was then another passport size photograph of his wife and her name then two or three more passport size photographs of his kids and their names then at the bottom he writes Ya Rasulallah you can see this is my family Ya Rasulallah this is my family my wife my kids we are currently facing some difficulties at the moment we're in some problems at the moment X Y and Z whatever it was oh messenger of Allah give us some help do some shafa'ah for us take our shafa'ah to Allah for us something along those lines with this CV photographs of his himself his wife his kids Ya Rasulallah this is my family you can see please help us do shafa'ah for us that is the level of misguidance of misunderstanding of ignorance and jahl that occurs if you do not spread the authentic knowledge amongst the people others they used to come they used to come at the time of Umrah and Hajj in particular and they want to wipe the walls of near the grave of the Prophet they want to come and wipe the walls there believing it is barakah that you will gain barakah from wiping the walls near to where the Prophet is buried and of course we know there is no barakah in that one time I was there and an elderly lady Miskina didn't know of course upon ignorance never been taught she came and she wanted to wipe the wall so there used to be some volunteers and students and bits and bobs just to make sure that type of thing wasn't happening so she came and she wanted to wipe the walls so we explained to her you cannot it is not from the religion you will not get any benefit from doing so there is no baraka wiping this wall it is bricks you will not get baraka from this etc but an elderly lady in her 70s at least elderly lady maybe it's the first time she's been there maybe the only opportunity she's gonna get she's been raised upon a certain way and she believes there is baraka to touch this wall so she began crying and crying allow me allow me to touch it so of course we didn't allow how can you allow these things to occur it is not the religion people they are raised believing baraka this baraka that shafa'a here shafa'a there go to the graves of the dead go to these awliya go to the holy men as they translate in English go to these people and they'll give you this and they'll do that and they'll do shafa'a and intercession for you and on another occasion one of the security guards he mentioned he was there at the grave of the Prophet this the official security guards with their uniforms prevent people prostrating there or doing other things there that are clearly shirk on one occasion he was there at the grave right in front and a person came overzealous with his tremendous bursting love for the Prophet and he came with a whole uh, um, a top one of those uh, tins you know when you buy the fragrance the itar and stuff you go to the shop and they pour it out into the small bottles the big silver bottle they pour it out from that one liter one or something one of those ones he came with them Ya Rasulallah and it's fra- nice fragrance no doubt cost a few hundred riyals whatever it would have been 
and started pouring it in everywhere. And the security guard said, in the rating later, he said it went on my clothes. That wasn't going to wash off for years. That amount, it goes onto your clothes, it's not coming out. This is from the ignorance of the people. When they go to Mecca, they want to touch the various places for Barakah. And if you read the book of Sheikh Al-Albani, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, regarding Umrah, the small booklet, you read in there, there's a section at the end, he mentions the types of bid'ah people do when they go to Mecca, the types of different innovations people fall into. He mentions all types of things. From the strange ones, he says, some people, because of their respect and honor for the Kaaba, and of course, they use their own skills, their own judgment on what respect is. We typically, obviously, normally in behavior and different things, turning your back on someone is disrespect. So now, using this judgment, when they go to the Kaaba, Sheikh Al-Albani mentioned, when they finish that tawaf and everything else, then you're going to walk out and go to Safa, Marwa, or leave the Haram or whatever. But they will not walk out turning their back to the Kaaba. Astaghfirullah. They will walk out backwards, facing the Kaaba all the way. Because it is disrespect to turn around and go the other way. From ignorance, the Prophet ﷺ used to sit at the Kaaba with his back on the Kaaba, leaning on it. Sitting, facing uh, the back onto the Kaaba, leaning on the Kaaba, sitting down. It's not been mentioned that this is respect, but this is jahal, ignorance. They go, some of them, as Shaykh al-Albani mentioned also, with a pair of scissors and the black cloth on the Kaaba, they chop a piece of it off and take it home. This is the cloth of the Kaaba. And they put it in their homes. Barakah from the cloth of the Kaaba. They'll go to Arafah and those places and they'll fill up a jar with the soil from Arafah. They'll say, this is soil of Arafah. And they put it on their mantelpiece at home. Barakah. There is no barakah in these affairs. This is jahl and ignorance that occurs from the ones who do not learn their religion. So when you think about this, you think about knowledge, and you start to realize the importance of knowledge, whereby so much jahl is widespread amongst the ummah. That's why the scholars, they say, if the salaf came today and looked at the Muslim ummah, they wouldn't recognize where is the Muslim Ummah. This is the Muslim Ummah now. If the Salaf, they came and saw what this Muslim Ummah is doing and the beliefs and the, the practices that they're upon, walking backwards out of the Kaaba, chopping off the cloth from the Kaaba, wiping the sides of the Kaaba, even though there are narrations from the Salaf telling you not to wipe the other sides of the Kaaba, except the sides that have been mentioned and the corners mentioned. So here it mentions this issue of shafa'ah that all of these other deities they have nothing to give you they have nothing to offer you going to their graves going to the dead and calling upon them will bring you nothing that is from the ways of ignorance and deviance they mention Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah said in the olden days when they used to do that they used to go to the graves of the dead, calling upon them. Graves of the dead of the awliya, as they claimed, and maybe they were. 
going to their graves and calling upon them, take our dua to Allah, we are in need of this, we are in need of that. So they would call upon them. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah mentioned how the spirits of those people would rise up out of the graves. The spirits of those people would rise up out of the graves and these people would say, look it works, we go there, we make dua and they come out of their graves and they speak to us and they answer our duas what we need. But as Shaykh al-Fawzan explained and as Ibn Taymiyyah mentioned, that was not the spirits of those people, that was the shayateen of the jinn taking the appearances of those people and rising up out of the graves in a pretense to these mushrikun. So now the mushrikun believe it's working. They believe these great awliya are rising out of their graves and in reality it is the shayateen of the jinn taking the opportunity to misguide them even more. There are others you hear about, that there are places. I heard about a place in one of the subcontinental regions where there is a lake. And in this lake, there is a crocodile. And people go and they make wishes. They make duas at this lake. They throw something for the crocodile and they make dua. And that is supposed to answer the dua. Other places you hear about in the subcontinental region also, and maybe other places where they have this arch. They have an arch of some kind. Some of you will know about this more. They have an, a doorway, like a doorway, a gate. And if you walk through this doorway, if you walk through this gate, that means you get your ticket to paradise. That's it, you're in. So everybody lining up to walk through this gate. These are the types of misguidances that occur with jahl, with ignorance. That's why it is so important to seek knowledge, to educate ourselves and our families, because one of the objectives of knowledge, obviously and clearly, is to remove jahl. You seek knowledge, in order to remove ignorance from yourselves and, as the scholars say, from your families and the people. Removing the jahl from yourselves and from others. So, carrying on here then with this issue of the shafa'ah. Awwalan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, لَا يَمْلِكُونَ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَلَا فِي الْأَرْضِ All of these other so-called deities they call upon, they do not control or have even an atom's weight of anything in the heavens or the earth. They independently do not have any control or power over even an atom's weight. Neither do they control the earth, nor the heavens, the skies. They don't control even a single star from all of the stars. They do not control even a single tree from all of the trees. They do not control, as we say in the language for uh, meaning of explanation, 
an atom from the atoms, even a smallest, tiniest thing, they do not control. Ala wajhil istiqlal independently. They independently from Allah do not control anything. Wama lahum fihima min shirk. They have no participation in any of that. All of that control is for Allah alone. وَالْفَرْقُ وَاضِحِ فَالِاسْتِقْلَالِ مَثَلًا إِذَا قَدَّرْنَا أَنَّ هَذِهِ عَشْرَ أُشْرَ مِنَ الْغَنَمِ لِخَمْسْ مَعِيَّنَاتِ وَلَكَ خَمْسْ مَعِيَّنَاتِ وَهَذَا مِلْكٌ اسْتِقْلَالِ وَإِذَا كَانَتَ الْعَشْرَ بَيْنَنَا وَرِثْنَاهَا عَنْ أَبِيْنَا مَثَلًا فَهَذِهِ مُشَارَكَةً to indicate the meaning of independently controlling something or participating in something. Independently controlling something, there are ten sheep, you own five of them, I own five of them. Independently controlling something. Participating in the control of something, there are these ten which you have inherited as a share. Both of you share in them and you participate in them. The reality is, those other deities do not have any independent control of anything and neither in the respect of sharing alongside Allah do they have anything the only thing we mentioned before was how can we say that there are kings in this world kings that have control over things their control is only limited control of what Allah has given them control of a limited land and amount which they'll have for a while and then they'll die and it'll be taken from them again and passed on so they do not have anything they control themselves exclusively or independently of Allah, only what they've been given. These idols that they used to worship and still do, do not control even an atom's weight by themselves. And neither do they have any participation in anything. فَهَلْ هَذِهِ الْأَصْنَامَ أَعَانَتَ اللَّهِ عَلَى خَلْقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ So did these other so-called deities and gods, these idols, did they in any way aid Allah in the creation of the heavens and the earth? Allah says, وَمَا لَهُ مِنْهُمْ مِنْ ظَهِيرٌ Allah does not have any equal from them, any partner from them. They did not aid Allah in any way. Even لَيْسَ لَهَا يَدٌ عَلَى شَيْءٍ مِنَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ Therefore they do not have any control over anything in the heavens and the earth. As for the seeking of intercession from them, فَلَا تَشْفَعْ هَذِهِ الْأَصْنَامِ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ those idols, they cannot intercede with Allah whatsoever. Those idols cannot intercede with Allah whatsoever. But this is the ignorance of the mushrikun that they are upon, believing that these so-called idols and deities and gods of theirs have something to give and offer them. Reminds me of another occasion. I went to purchase a car from somebody once. And this individual, I didn't know until I got there, ended up being 
some type of Sikh or, or Hindu or something along those lines. And he had one of his inverted commas deities, one of his gods, stuck on the dashboard. So we decided the deal was going to go ahead. I was going to buy the car. He said, okay, let me clean it all out. Let me get my things out. Let me just take my God out. Let me clean it all out. Let me remove my God as well. And then you can take it. And this is how it is. So he's glued his God to the dashboard. He's now going to get some screwdriver and prick that God out from the dashboard and take it out and put the God into his house. This is their gods. That is their understanding of what a god is. So this is the reality and here it mentions these idols have no participation or ability in anything. They cannot intercede with Allah. They do not have permission for intercession. And so this indicates the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then it goes on to say in the ayah, حَتَّى إِذَا فُزِّعَ عَنْ قُلُوبِهِمْ قَالُوا مَاذَا قَالَ رَبُّكُمْ This now is talking about the angels. This is now talking about the angels and what happens when the revelation occurs. كلام الله عز وجل إذا تكلم صعقة الملائكة صعقة غشي عليه من عظمة ما تسمع When Allah speaks in the heavens When Allah speaks Then from that tremendous impact Of hearing the speech of Allah The angels fall unconscious When they hear Allah speak from the greatness and the tremendous uh, uh, impact of Allah speaking, the angels fall unconscious from what they hear. Then it says, إِذَا قُلُوبِهِمْ Then, when that fear and that tremendous impact which occurred to them settles and it calms, and that fear exits from them, then they say, Mada Kala Rabbukum. What did your Lord say? Mada Kala Rabbukum. They ask each other, What did your Lord say? Mada Kala Rabbukum. Wafi Ba'di Al-Fadi Al-Hadith and Namis Aluna Jibril. And in some of the versions of this hadith, it mentions that they actually ask Jibril. What did your Lord say? Because now they've heard the speech of Allah, that Allah spoke and that impact caused them to fall unconscious. When it finally clears and their hearts, they settle from that. They then say, what did your Lord say? And in one narration to Jibreel, what did your Lord say? So then he says, or oh, they say, They say that he spoke the truth. قَالُوا الْحَقِّ وَهُوَ الْعَلِيُّ الْكَبِيرِ And he is the most high, the greatest. فَمَنْ هَذِهِ عَظَمَتُهُ فَكَيْفَ يَلِقُ عَقْلًا أَنْ يُشْرَكَ بِهِ مَنْ لَا يَمْلِكُ شَيْئًا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَلَا فِي الْأَرْضِ 
وَلَيْسَ لَهُ فِيهَا شِرْكٌ وَمَا لَهُ مِنْهُ مِنْ ظَهِيرٌ وَشَفَاعَتُهُ لَا تَنْفَعْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ So if you imagine now this is the greatness of Allah, that Allah speaks and the angels they fall unconscious and then they ask what did your Lord say and then it is said to them that Allah spoke the truth. If that is the greatness of Allah, then how can any of these other so-called deities that own nothing and control nothing be anywhere near comparable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? We're going to have to round off on that point. There's still a few more points to make about this topic of the angels hearing the speech of Allah, hearing the revelation. And what happens there, we'll move on from that next time. Next week, insha'Allah ta'ala, we'll round off on that for tonight. Anything else there to add? In that case, till next week then insha'Allah. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.